Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. So on today's episode, ladies, we have Terry Cole. She's a licensed psychotherapist and a relationship expert, and she wrote a phenomenal book on boundaries. And we get into boundaries in such a phenomenal way on this episode today. Uh, you are in store for just get your pen and paper, get whatever way you take notes out, because she's going to be sharing so much knowledge with you. What I think you're going to appreciate most about today's episode is that we often think boundaries can confine us or constrict us, but they're actually a way to have more freedom. And it has a lot to do with how we're our upbringing and what works for us. And it's a lot of, you're going to look yourself in the mirror today, ladies. <laughs> Because a lot of boundaries come in and what, what we need and want, and sometimes we have a hard time with them. So you're going to get so, so, so much from this episode today. I love this also because it was like, whoa, a wake-up call. You're going to hear me saying like, huh, a lot of like aha moments. One thing that she said that really like struck me is that nobody deserves any immediate yes. And raise your hand, ladies, right? Don't we do this so much? right? Because we are able, capable of figuring things out. So this is a very profound because the way that we show up, the way the rules of engagement as we evolve as investors, it's important that we all, it's it's along, right? You're growing your portfolio, you're evolving your mindset and how you do business and how you show up in, in the world. Love this episode for you guys. Before we get into Terry's story, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes, but how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Welcome back, ladies. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. 
Welcome back to the Real Estate Investor Show, where we're all about focused on empowering women to live a financially free and balanced life. And we do that day in and day out, right, Andressa? We're committed beyond belief <laughs> of that cause and our dreams. <laughs> when I You're wake so up at night and have ideas about this community, you're about people. And then I get oh. boxers from Andressa at like, you know, hey, I don't want to forget. <laughs> We're no, so sorry to like that. I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget. Is that how all your early morning boxers start? Um, but we're so excited about today's episode. Terry Cole, thank you so much for being here and just so pumped about having you on to talk about boundaries and uh, and everything that's going to go along with that. So thank you for your time and thank you for sharing your, your wisdom with us in our community. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So as we like to do, we'd like to kick things off with a tip, uh, an idea as we jump into today's episode, and I, I'm on here on Jessa, so I want to share a quick story about how I learned about Terry. And I wanted to mention, if you're not using Insight Timer, I know a lot of people use Calm. There's a lot of meditation apps out there, and they're all great. Um, I use Calm for a while, and I've, I'm somebody who like starts something sometimes, and I don't really like it, and I try something else. I like to try things until it sticks, right? And that happened for me when I when I found Insight Timer. I'm like, oh, this is a this is like an amazing app for meditation. Not just meditations, but also like challenges, like 10-day challenges. And uh, and it's also great content. Uh, I'll listen to them like podcast episodes, almost like 15-minute information about different areas of, of mindfulness. It's all about mindfulness. So I was really, you know, be, you know, about a few months ago, I should have started this a long time ago, but a few months ago, getting more and more aware that, you know, I really want to grow in the area of boundaries. And Justice said to me once, what's your boundary best? It was something. I don't remember what it was. She said, she asked me very pointedly, what is your boundary with this? And I'm like, I don't know what you mean by that. I, I'm not sure what you mean. I know she, I know what the word boundary means, but I didn't know what she meant. Like, why would I have a boundary with what she was? And I just really, you know, this whole idea of exploring of what you need and want, right? So anyway, went on Insight Timer, which I love. And I found your 10 day challenge, Terry. I'm like, oh, this is cool. And I heard your voice. I'm like, I totally don't need to listen to her because I can listen to her all day. And I went through it. It was so powerful because it is a journey, especially as somebody, but it's a relearning of what, you know, what boundaries you have, what you don't have, what you need more of, what you need less of, and giving yourself grace in the process. I know you, you spoke about that too. And uh, so I just so enjoyed it. And I'm just so excited to have you here today. I have like 89 questions for you. No, I don't have 89 questions, but so let's jump in here. Boundaries is a big topic. And especially with women in our community that we find, right? Because that's who we serve. Why do you think in particular it's so hard for women to set and commit to boundaries? Well, I think we were never taught about boundaries. And the way most of us were raised, it's sort of the opposite. You know, I like to say, not that I like to say, but it's true, where most of us were raised and praised to be self-abandoning codependents. This is what we got positive feedback for. Be self-sacrificing. Be nice. Be a good girl. Turn that frown around. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. All of these overt and covert messages basically telling us that if what we have to say will not be pleasing to other people, we should most likely not say it. And that most of us were raised to be outwardly focused. So please the parents, please the teachers, you know, excel in school, do all of these things. But nobody told us how to assert ourselves in a healthy way or really that what we think what we want matters and i think that this is home training and you know it's interesting i've taught this 
course that I, that I had, have an online course in 225 countries. And never one time did someone say, oh, yes, in my family of origin, I was encouraged to exercise and assert my boundaries, even when the rest of the group disagreed with me. Like, nobody, not one time. Hmm. So this is, this is um, cross-cultural in my experience. I've been teaching it for many years. I've been a psychotherapist for 25 years, and I've been teaching this stuff for about 20, where no, nobody teaches us. So anyway, that longest way around the barn to get back to your question, which is, why is it so confusing and overwhelming? Because we really start at a deficit. It isn't just that it's challenging to assert ourselves. If you're a people pleaser, if you were raised to get a lot of validation from outside of ourselves, and many of us are high-functioning codependents, I call it, where we really learned to be outwardly focused. Like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Is everybody okay? That I'm okay, right? That used to be my belief. And yet, being a therapist for 25 years, I know that that, isn't, that actually isn't true. So boundaries matter because what you think, how you feel, what you want, who you are authentically matters. And if we don't assert our boundaries on a regular basis, and, and can I clarify what I say boundaries are? Because I think that yeah. this is yeah. confusing too. According to Terry Cole, your boundaries are, I want you to think about them as your own personal rules of engagement. It's allowing other people, right? We let other people know what's okay with us and what's not okay with us. Your boundaries are comprised of your preferences, your limits, your desires, and your deal breakers. So not all boundaries are created equal, right? I may have a preference. It's still important. It still matters. But it doesn't matter as much as a deal breaker, meaning this is a non-negotiable boundary for me in a relationship, in a work relationship, or whatever the situation may be. But the problem that I've seen over these many years is that a lot of women in particular don't know their preferences, their desires, their limits, and their deal breakers because they've been so outwardly focused on keeping the ship of life going for partner, family, children, business, all of those things. It's like, what do I need to do to get this done? Not necessarily, what is my preference, my desire, my limit, and my deal breaker? So it's not enough to just know what those things are. Then we need to know how to effectively, transparently communicate I have many, many questions here. But one thing that I wanted to pick back is when you say, I think many, many women that are being a journey of doing the work and stopping asking themselves, what are my boundaries? And verbalizing them, we'll find out that they're going to get different responses from different relationships from what the hell you're talking about? Mm-hmm. Or, oh, well, you're putting me in a box. Mm-hmm. Or, I am walking on shells. Or, you're not being flexible. Mm-hmm. Or, what happened to you? You've never mm-hmm. been like this before. Right. right. I don't even know you anymore now that you have boundaries. Who are you? Who are you? Right. And I think that's. I wouldn't say a thermometer, but a measure of where they are in their journey, right? But how do you deal with that and continue, like, honoring your boundaries? It's a great, 
question. So first of all, expect pushback. It is prudent to expect that when you change the boundary dance that you've been doing, especially in a long established relationship, the other dancers are going to notice. They're going to be like, hey, what's going on? As human beings, we have a visceral, a primal fear of change, right? So I always say fear of success and fear of failure are two sides of the same coin. That coin is fear of change. So someone resisting, questioning, trying to get you to get back in your lane and do the things that you normally do, I I don't know if I agree that it, it means that that says where they are in their journey, right? I think what it says is they don't want you to change so much that you no longer require them. Like a lot of times people feel threatened by your growth. So there are ways, and I, and I walk readers through this in the book, right? We do a lot of internal deep diving, right? Because it all, it's all begins and ends with us. Long before I teach anybody how to create a proactive boundary success plan or anything else, we have to like get super clear what is going on for me? What do I need to do? Where do I need boundaries? Like so much of the time, clients and women in my courses and my mastermind, they don't know. They're just reacting. It's like every day is just reacting to what's happening rather than being able to go, okay, let me start here. So if anybody listening, watching this is like, I don't even know where I need boundaries. I'm going to say, why don't we quickly do a resentment inventory. <laughs> I love that. Right? And and it can be simple. This is literally you writing down. Right now, if you gave yourself a minute, if you took a deep breath, if you relaxed your shoulders and thought, if I'm being honest, who am I carrying resentment for right now? Where am I feeling underappreciated? Where am I feeling taken for granted or taken advantage of? What crap am I doing that I really don't want to be doing anymore, but I've always done it, so I feel like I have to. When we write those things down, this is now becomes the GPS of like, huh, I can start by going, look, I have the three top resentments are in that same relationship with my older sister. Hmm. Okay. So now I know. Where's a valuable place to put my attention, my time, my energy? Now I look at my relationship with my sister and I go, okay, what is our dynamic been? What is going on? She's always been the one who I come to for answers, but I've outgrown that. So now when she gives me unasked for advice and criticism all the time, I resent the crap out of her because I don't want her advice. I want her to see me, to care how I feel, to ask me how I am, and not endlessly give me advice I'm not looking for because I'm not a problem for her to solve. And when she's spontaneously advice giving, I don't feel like a sister. I feel like someone she's managing as opposed to someone she's loving. Make sense? So then we can approach the person and we, we have a plan. We go, oh, okay. So my sister's really, I know her. So we know the players. She could be really defensive. She's also not a morning person. Um, okay. So I'm definitely not going to approach her in the morning. <laughs> I know I'm having dinner with her on Thursday. I'm going to talk to her then. And the way that we approach the boundary is we're going to make a simple request, right? We're not going to use a sledgehammer when like a little nail file 
will do the trick. We don't need to come in all hot and aggressive and looking at, you know, feeling all the years of frustration and then like, ha, ah, because that, of course, you know, as soon as we start accusing someone or being like you always, nobody is that interested to listen to what we're saying. So we go in and how I would do that, or maybe perhaps this is an example for my own life, I would go in and say, hey, I've been having a lot of realizations lately. And I know for a long time, I've been the one coming to you and you've been the one giving me advice. And I realize that I appreciate your advice. And when I want to tap your big brain, I, I hope I still can, but that I don't want it all the time. And that I'd like to make a simple request if I come to you with something. I want you to know I'm not immediately looking for input. And I'll do my best to be really clear about saying, hey, I really just want a compassionate ear. I'm really not looking for input right now, but it really means a lot to me for you to know that I'm struggling because you're my sister and you love me and I love you and I appreciate that. That's huge. I mean, there's a lot there to, to even just start with an inventory of where you're at your resentments and start to see, okay, what are the pieces I can pull together here or the people or the situations? And then to be able to make a request. Because that's a really, it feels easier to say, I'll make a request versus I have to have this big conversation or it's like we make things sometimes bigger in our heads. I, I love that. You know, and, and I think that, what do you find to be the reason why a lot of people are not having those conversations? Do you think it's because they don't know? They don't even have their resentment inventory created, or at least women I'd say? Or is it that they do, it's like low-grade resentment, right? It just kind of builds over time. And they just fear what that conversation is going to have. Or is, it, or is it both? I feel like it's a combination of things. But a lot of times what I've noticed with my therapy clients is that they really didn't know they had a choice. They were unaware. It's like going along to get along. You know, very focused on, I'm building this business. I'm taking care of this family. I'm doing the... All, all the things. And I think that slowing down why I have meditation as a part of everything that I teach, and I've been a meditation teacher forever, that's why you found me on Inside Timer, is because this is something as a high-functioning type A person. I was in the entertainment business before I became a psychotherapist. I was negotiating contracts for supermodels and celebrities. Like I, I lived this very high-pressure, high-profile sort of achievement-oriented life, and I didn't know how to slow down, and I didn't know how to be with my own thoughts. I didn't know how to tap into how I really felt about things, because my whole thing was like might makes right to a degree. My whole thing was forward motion, ambition, get it done, but there was a cost. So I reached my own tipping point in deciding to get out of that industry and then I had a health crisis. And, you know, there's lots of things that will bring us to our knees when it comes to dysfunctional behavioral patterns and especially when it comes to boundaries. Because when you're, you know, this is my demographic, right? High-functioning women where we can go for a long time doing 90% more than most people in the world are ever going to do in their lives. Like we are incredibly capable and competent. And just because you can doesn't mean that you should. And for me, meditation became, when I finally got it, it took so long and so many weekends. And so I, I always thought that there was a magic bullet. I was like, I'm just going to do a weekend at the Open Center. It's going to be great. No, 
that's not how I learned. I've learned from a teacher and a deep dive and whatever. But what happened in my life is that I gained two to three seconds of reaction or response time in every situation, which now created an opening, an expansion mm. for me to quickly ask, do I want to do this? Do I agree with that? what that person just said? How do I feel about this ask? I also learned, and I think that this can be a helpful something for listeners, is that nobody deserves an immediate yes from me. And I think that if you're a people pleaser or you're someone who's very highly capable and people need help, we're, we're very quick to be like, yes, yes, yes. And so another thing that I think is helpful is we just make a decision that for seven full days, everybody listening is going to be no giving no insta yeses to anything because we need to start to train people in our lives that we think we deserve time to decide. How about just saying, hey, I need to think about that. I'll get back to you by Wednesday. Right? It's not about manipulating other people. It's about taking a pause so that we can think. Maybe I don't want to do that. Even if I do have the bandwidth, maybe I just simply don't want to. And I think that we, we don't value that for ourselves. We feel like, if I can, I should. No, maybe you can better use that time to rest, to meditate, to take a walk, to do something else, rather than always sort of bleeding our bandwidth for other folks. So I think getting rid of the insta yes and then coming back and learning how to, and I have a bunch of super easy scripts of how to say no. Simply, even if it's some people you like, even if it's things you would normally like to do, there's nothing wrong with saying we always start with sweetness. If it's some if it's someone that we like, right? I always will say if it's true, I love that you always think about me. Thank you for thinking of me. It, it means a lot to me and I'm not available on the 20. Or I love that you you love to make plans for us, and I'd like to make a simple request that you check with me before you made plans because I'm not available on that Wednesday, and now I'm bummed I can't go, right? Like, there's ways of, you can always establish and assert your boundaries with kindness, with love if it's appropriate, with more heat, like if it's a Bob from accounting and he's an idiot, then of course, a little more heat might just be fine, but... Just essentially setting boundaries is not aggressive and is not negative. It's just being truthful about how you feel and who you are. Yeah. And I, and I love what you said. I think you said this in the challenge that, that I took. You said, boundaries are not all about saying no. They're about asserting your preferences and your desires. And I love that you said this. Every no to something you don't want to do is a potential yes to something you do. So it's actually more freedom. And I I, I think that's a really speaks to what you were just saying, right? You said and as well when you were just doing that, you know, versus but, right? So exactly. That speaks to that a lot. You also talk about boundary offenses and boundary bullies. I really loved learning about that because I was like, what's that about? I need to understand that. I should help. I feel like I was in kindergarten again. But talk a little bit about the offenses and the bullies if you can, because I think that was really uh, helpful and interesting, especially as we're making these lists and these inventories, those are, sounds like pretty, really important inventories for women to take too. I mean, part of the thing with boundary bullies or boundary destroyers, right? I call it that in the book, boundary destroyers, is that you're going to have some people who will be trampling on your boundaries 
even as you establish them, even if you have asserted them. And so I always put, I put people in categories, right? We have boundary first timers. They're the people, maybe you've thought that Betty from your office is like a boundary bully, but if you've never said anything to her, she still is a boundary first timer because we need to give people a chance to step up, to respect our boundaries. You, I swear, you would be shocked at how many people are like, oh my God, I had no idea that bothered you. I will definitely stop doing that. And thank you for caring enough about me for telling me. That's how I feel when anyone tells me anything truthful. I'm like, oh my God, you really care about me, that you had the courage to give me that information. Because when we're saying yes, when we want to say no, we're just giving people corrupted data about who we are. Oh my gosh. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? And 500 of those women will be at InvestorCon 2024. It is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd to 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestorCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care, all designed to help you take control of your financial future. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with women who are playing at the same level. Time is running out. You just have four weeks left to get your ticket. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit investhercon.com today. Use a code 100podcast to get $100 off your ticket. That's investher, H-E-R, con.com, promo code 100podcast to get $100 off your ticket. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can we highlight that for a second? Sure. Because what I've been hearing a lot, right? Because people don't want to hurt other people. They don't want to either rock the boat. They want to please it, right? Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is like you're corrupting your own self, basically. Well, you're misleading the crap out of the people in your life. When you do, when you do things you don't want, when you say you like something that you don't, when you say yes, when you want to say no, and listen, let's get real. 
obviously, all of us have relationships. Of course, we're going to do some crap we, we don't want to do. We live in society, right? We got kids. Yeah. We got parents. We got... So I'm not talking about compromising. I'm not talking about being dutiful, right? Those things are going to happen. I'm talking about saying yes when you really want to say no with something that it's totally your option to say yes or no to. But your fear of their disapproval or hurting their feelings, quote unquote, makes you say yes. Because what ends up happening, and I've seen this in my therapy practice, and don't worry, I'm going to go back to the offenses and the bullies. I got it. But I've seen this in my therapy practice where I would have women in particular in their sixth or seventh decade of life coming into my practice and being like, okay, kids are on track. Everybody, people getting their MBAs, money in the bank. I still kind of like my spouse going to SoulCycle three times a week, doing all this charity work. I'm on these boards. Why do I feel so empty? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, because nobody friggin' knows you and you built your life checking boxes that somebody else deemed worthy of checking rather than really authentically being yourself. It's like we've been sold this bill of goods. If I do X, Y, and Z, then I've made a good life. And if that good life is not based on who you are authentically, it will feel empty. Because really nobody knows you. When we say yes and we want to say no, and we continually do this in life, like pleasing these people and pleasing those people, pleasing our grown children, all of that, There is an existential loneliness that comes from not being known. And when you think about the tragedy in all of this when it comes to boundaries, is that how can anyone authentically love you if you never actually let them authentically know you? And devastating, right? It's avoidable. Yes. It's It's avoidable is my point. And it's why I wrote the book, because who you are, your preferences, limits, desires, and deal breakers, they don't just make up your boundaries. They make up who you are uniquely as a human being. So they matter, even if other people don't get it. And here's another thing. I feel like we get into this situation where we feel like we have to convince others that we have a right to our boundaries or that we're doing the right thing or that the move we're making in our business or, in our, or wherever is the right thing. And my point is that you don't, and I heard this from Deepak Chopra years ago, it's something I was doing with him, and he was like, I was going to imitate him, but I can't. Anyway, he's, he was like, Terry, you never have to convince anyone of anything. Remember that. And I woke up in that moment to how much I spent of my life trying to convince everyone I was doing the right thing. I wanted all the approval from all the people. And he was like, you're just wasting your life because they don't need to approve. They just need to respect. That's it. And they're two different things. Someone can say, "You, I don't know why you feel that way. You have no reason to feel that way. And you can say, oh, hey, I'm actually not asking you your opinion about my feelings. I'm telling you how I feel. And if you're going to be in the front row of my life, how I feel needs to matter to you. Whether you understand it or not. Drop the mic. (laughs) I think what's found about what we're talking about is that unless you seek this information out, 
you know, and, and you're in circles of other people, other individuals that are, are like-minded, right? On the same path of growing and evolving. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it's like you're, you're getting a script, you know, it's a societal script. And we talk yes. a lot about that with, with women's, you know, finances and, and all the things that we stand for in our, our investing community. But to, to your point and to what we're talking about here, it's like, wow, I mean, this is like a generational baggage. Like I, you know, it, there's a lot here of what you're saying. It's like, Wow, but we had. If I could teach my my kids this, right? Time sort of better. What what you're shifting a generational impact of this? It's very very. This stuff should be taught in schools, right? Without a doubt. Without my my team and I talk about this all the time because when you think about it, you have a downloaded blueprint, right? A downloaded boundary blueprint. You have a downloaded boundary blueprint. So do I. Family, culture, family of origin your role in the family system, all of those things. And then you have the societal expectations as well. All of them come together and sort of coalesce and create this unconscious paradigm of how we're supposed to behave and interact in the world. And so much of the work that I do, it's like, imagine that I'm holding your hand and I've got a little miner's lamp on my head and I'm walking you down the steps to the basement of your mind to get a hold of these dusty old boxes so that you can look and go, huh, that was true for my grandmother and that was true for my mother, but that doesn't have to be true for me. And I can choose something healthier and I can teach my children to respectfully assert themselves, right? It's not about, you know, back in... 50 years ago, yes, kids should be seen and not heard. Many. This was very, very common. And then you have, sometimes you have the flip side of that, where there's too much freedom for kids and it's a burden, right? If you're giving a three-year-old, like, what would you like for lunch? Here's 17 things you could have. You know, the kid's like, I don't friggin' know. It's got to be like peanut butter and jelly or like soup. That's it. Like, just give them two choices (laughs) because there's only so much that a kid can do, but you can teach them by modeling the behavior of what is it like to teach a child to be sovereign, right? To have the right to say, hey, I actually don't want to hug that person. It makes me uncomfortable. It's okay. You don't have to. You can high five them and you can do nothing, right? Respecting a child's right to be certainly bodily to be sovereign, you know, and I feel like this is a whole new way of parenting that really was certainly wasn't around when I was a kid. No, certainly not. You you remind me yesterday my son came home from school and it's gym day. So exhausted and he had judo class at night. So he came home and he said, "I just want to uh, have some privacy in my room for a little bit so I can recharge." And I said, "Okay, I respect your privacy and you let me know do you need anything like no i just want to relax a little bit there right the first time he's seven and i love it yeah the first time he did that i remember my mom she's like is he sick what's going on he's going to be there by himself what why what what i was like mom he is he's fine he made this request and this is not the first time that he does that. And I looked at him and I said, I respect your request. You want me to close the door 
or you want no you can close the door i'm gonna just stay here and then once he's good he's good he's he's out but you know my mom just look at it a little different it's like okay he's there for half an hour <laughs> like what, what's, what's wrong with him what, what, what's wrong with him do we need to take him to the doctor or or what i was like i want him to be in touch with the amount of food that he wants to eat instead of you have to eat this entire plate here and then the child's like but i feel that i am full honestly right so one thing that you mentioned that i want to get back to very quickly is the codependency right mm -hmm. is there any positive or advantage of somebody not establishing a boundary what do they get out, out of it what yes so what so, yeah your question is what's the secondary gain yes so the secondary gain because secondary gain questions are this what do i get to not face not feel or not experience by continuing to interact in this way so and you can use secondary gain i love this a tool that i mean we use it psychotherapeutically but i i use it in all all the work that i do because it, it's a really good one for people to just have in their back pocket if you find yourself in a repeated situation where you're like i don't want to be here why am i here there there's a reason so that that was actually a great question so yes what do we get to not face not feel not experience by staying codependently attached to people well we don't get to ha be rejected we don't have to look at our own lives because we're too busy asserting ourselves to try to control other people's lives i mean there, there's there's a lot that it's the short-term gain or the secondary gain is really the unobvious gain you get from doing a behavior that you say you don't want to do when you think about codependency though i want to talk a little bit about this because i think that your crew is most likely very close to my crew which means you guys are and so am i where you wouldn't necessarily um identify with the, with the word codependent right so in my therapy practice i had all these you know baller women who were like cfos and doing international pop stars and people who were like really doing something in the life and in the world and if i said oh hey what you're describing is a codependent dynamic they'd be like yeah no way lady no you're you're, you're wrong because everyone's dependent on me i'm making all the money i'm making all the decisions i'm the rock of my family what are you talking about and i realized oh my clients don't actually know what codependency is so I coined a new phrase, and I'm actually writing a book about it right now, called High Functioning Codependency. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because as soon as I did, Michael, I was like, the difference is this. According to me, codependency is when you are overly invested in the feeling states, the outcomes, the decisions, the relationships of the people in your life to the detriment of your own internal peace financial well-being emotional well-being uh spiritual physical well-being so because we're all mothers partners lovers sisters so obviously we're going to be invested in the happiness of the people we love so i'm not talking about that i'm talking about it when you're invested to the point where their problem the moment your best friend has a problem and calls you how quickly does that shit become your problem how quickly where you have to check your urgency does her crisis 
like almost immediately spur you into action, dropping everything else and being like, okay, I'm emailing this person and I'm underlining this in this book, I'm Googling, I've got a friend I'm connecting you with, I'm, I'm fixing it, you know? So the difference is that with high-functioning codependents, we're so friggin' capable that nobody would look at us and be like, oh, she's suffering. People think of us and go, she's fine. She's great. She can handle it. Of course. She's always fine. She's got it. She's got it. And we do to a degree, but there's a cost. And what I'm seeing in my practice, and this again, how is this connected to boundaries? You may ask. Codependency, whether it's high functioning or the regular kind, is built on disordered boundaries because at its core, being codependent is an overt or a covert bid to control other people's outcomes. Does that make sense? Say that again and give an example if you can. Sure. Codependency at its core is about disordered boundaries, and it is a covert or overt bid to control someone else's outcome. So your friend comes to you, you, and she's in crisis, And you insert yourself into the middle of her situation as the solution. I have an idea. I know what you should do. I was in a similar situation. I have a friend who had that same situation. I actually know the best expert in New York City for this exact thing you were just diagnosed with. So I'm going to get in touch with them tomorrow. Then we're going to have a healing plan. Like, that's what I'm talking about. That is an example. Because if you're not codependent, if you're healthy, it doesn't mean you can't support your friend. You can say... How can I best support you right now? What do you think you should do? How do you feel? Because the moment we co-opt our friend's scenario and make it be about us as the, we're coming in on the white horse with the answers, like I'm the super one I'm going to fix your problem. We're doing exactly what I'd said about my older sister at the top. Now, you're not relating to your friend as like, how do you feel? You just got this diagnosis. How are you? What's happening for you? Tell me all the things. You are uncomfortable with your friend. Your friend's distress is so distressing to you, you can't tolerate it. So you got to fix it. You want it to be neatly tied up in a bow. Like, all right, now we got a plan. We got an action plan. Okay, good. I'm going to check in with you tomorrow and we're going to see what they say at Sloan Kettering and we're going to... But again, really loving your friend is being able to be with your friend in her distress. It doesn't mean you never give advice. If your friend's like, hey, can you, you brainstorm this with me? Yeah, man, put on your thinking cap and start brainstorming. But <laughs> the first and foremost is saying to the people in our lives... How can I best support you? Let them tell us what they need. Because if not, it is a compulsion, right? It's not caring. It's a compulsion. I want to fix you because your distress is distressing me. And you may love them too, right? It's, it's not to say you're not loving. I mean, we're all like lovers, right? But that's hard. When you are a high-functioning codependent, wow, 
just sort of letting the people in our lives, letting them, quote unquote, is if we have the power to not let them. But think about how much we control or attempt to control or try to manage and organize and do for others. And it is so much more loving to ask what they need and to allow others to be there for us too, because that's the flip side, is that most high-functioning codependent women, we're not asking for help. We're, we're doing it all ourselves because we do it better, because we don't want to owe people anything, because we don't want to be a burden, because we feel like we can for all the reasons. But again, neither one of neither side of that coin is good for our relationships. I just self-diagnosed myself here. <laughs> I know you were HFC, but it's 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 a journey, right? I think that the the work that Liz and I have been doing and continue doing it allows more awareness, more stillness, which propelled us to be more okay. Let's think about this. What do we really want? But the default, definitely. It made a lot of sense to me as you explaining, because when you say codependency, that's like a trigger to me. I feel it's like I am a like like a snail, somebody else. Uh, uh, not that right. Yeah, didn't identify, but a hundred percent. But you connect the dots by saying their distress is my distress, and I can't handle that. So let's fix it. Let's get it done. Let's have all this schedule with deadlines. And let's get it. So that's my default. But if I take a step back, if I have awareness, if my cup is full, that's why self-care is my top priority, then I can take a step back. But just this week, looking back, there are points in my life that I said, well, right there, right there, showing up, showing up, because I want to help 100%. But the underline that I was not aware that I am aware right now is that that makes me uncomfortable and I want to just get it done. So that I said, then then it's like I can check the box out of my to do Exactly. Yep. Per se. Awakenings. Yeah, a lot of awakenings. And, and, you know, as you explore this for yourself, this is a lot to explore and be aware of. You think about your personal life and your professional life, right? And and the, And what we stand for is that women... Uh, that we serve in our community, they're they're investing in real estate. They're they're at the helm of their business, but they put themselves last. So it's all important, both personally and professionally. I don't know how you could set boundaries. I'm just thinking about it. How you could set boundaries in one area of your life and not do it in another? Oh, it's 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 actually easy to. I mean, some yeah. some of my my very you know high functioning clients are they're still over-functioning at work, right? They're still doing more than they're sure. Even if they're CFOs, even if they're at the top of their game. But they might be a veritable disaster in their romantic life mm-hmm. when it comes to boundaries, where sure. they have no problem holding an expectation for subordinates at work, but they can't hold that expectation for their partner. So I do see, for some people, it's across the board, sort of if you're a boundary disaster, it's everywhere. But I find that for high-functioning codependents, our our default is that we'll just do more. Right. You know, because we're so highly capable, we can. Mm. Doesn't mean we should, but we can. So what would be some first steps for women that are listening? And you've given so many great nuggets. Yeah, I, love, I love the inventory, the resentment inventory. I got I to gotta put that on my... Got, 
might to do there. But what are some of those initial steps? We always like to break things down for, for women because like any topic, right? Women want to go and buy a 400 unit apartment complex. It starts with a couple of micro steps. So what might be some micro steps? Because this is a big topic and I'm sure it's resonating with so many of the women listening to this right now uh, that they can take to move towards uh, more peace. Well, two things. One, I actually have a gift and that's one step they can take, which nice. is you can go to boundaryboss.me forward slash investor. And there's a video and a downloadable guide around boundaries and codependency. Because I think that would be helpful for people to go, where am I on the spectrum? Because most of us don't identify as codependents. But then when you see what it actually is, you're like, oh, maybe I am. So that's one. But second is really doing the resentment inventory that we talked about. And looking at, in all areas of your life, I have people make this list. It's called the okay and not okay list. Where in, so all the domains of life, home life, health, finances, friendships, family, work, right? We're going to look at what are the things, big and small, that are actually not okay with you right now. And it can be as small as in my home office, I have a terrible caustic light that I hate that's like a million watts and I would like it to be a softer light or I want different lighting. Like we're, I'm, I'm down to the micro and the macro because what ends up happening is the things that we tolerate end up becoming our lives and they end up making up the quality of our lives. And there are so many things. So let's just say another thing that you're tolerating, right? Another thing that is not okay with you is you you have someone who works for you who you don't like the way they interact with you or you don't like their tone of voice or they, they're coming late to team meetings, let's just say. But you haven't handled that. So that's something that's on your not okay list. And you're like, you know what? I'm actually going to schedule a conversation with them about wh whatever the thing is. Because all of these things that are not okay for us, they are so bandwidth and energy draining. And many of them are easy. And I feel like with high-functioning women in particular, we're sort of like, we say about ourselves, it's fine. I I'm okay. But to really live the life you want to live, you want to be so much more than okay. You want to be satisfied. You want to be thrilled. You want to be comfortable. You want to prioritize your preferences and your pleasure in life. And I feel like a lot of times we don't. So that okay and not okay list, and it's a lot easier. Most most people start with the not okay stuff, and then, then eventually you, you can get to what's more okay. But just looking at all those domains and being like, what are these things, like the small niggly things that are just annoying? And then what are the big things? Like, I need to deal with the fact that my friend borrowed 10 grand and hasn't paid it back and hasn't said a word about it in a year. And you know what I mean? Like, they could be big and small. And it doesn't mean you have to do them all in a day. But always, this first pillar of transformation is self-awareness. And so that list will give you more self-awareness. Love it. Harry, thank you so much for all your wisdom today. I know I'm sure all the listeners that can, could, would agree got some great nuggets. Where can the ladies listening learn more about you and follow you along the journey? You can go to my website, terrycole.com. I also have a all-women's group on Facebook, 
called uh, Real Love Revolution with Terry Cole, where we talk about this. I hang out mostly on Instagram. I'm just at Terry Cole. I also have a podcast that I've had for seven years called The Terry Cole Show, where I talk exactly like what we talked about today. <laughs> Every week I do two episodes. Awesome. All this information you guys can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. The first one, Terry, is what's the most transformational book you ever read? So many, but I, I love The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success from Deepak Chopra, and I read that in the late 90s. And I got to say, it changed my life. Awesome. What's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life, whatever balance means to you? No technology until after 11 a.m. in my life. I get up, I meditate, I take care of my chickens and my geese, I work out on my trampoline, I have coffee with my husband, I call my mother, I take a shower, I do my makeup. Like, all of that happens before 11 a.m. where I do not go on my phone at all. My phone is off for 11 a.m. I love that. Love it, love it. Last question, which women, famous or not, has inspired you the most? Mm, so many, but I, I like to say Dr. Harriet Lerner, who is, she's she wrote the Dance of Anger, the Dance of Deception, the Dance of Intimacy. She's a brilliant um, PhD, and her theories around relationships being dances really powerfully influenced my work and my life. She's amazing. Follow her on Instagram. I love her still so much. She's still writing. She's just so smart and such an original thinker. Harry, thank you so much again for being on our show and excited to excited to hear what women got from today's episode and more importantly what they're putting into action because it's such a it's just an inspirational episode to put into action so thank you again thank you so much for having me you guys and for what you're doing in the world i appreciate you thank you there if you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews go to our website therealestateinvestor.com there you can subscribe to our show become part of our investor community and get updates on upcoming episodes if you like our show, please share it with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.